turn to the Old Testament book of Ruth, chapter 1. The Old Testament book of Ruth, chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. There she is. All right. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the church, the household of faith. We're in this house. You are our father, and we are now brothers and sisters of one another. Thank you, Lord, that we are linked with one another in such a way that we can be closer than even our biological family because of the spiritual roots we have in you and because of you. Thank you, Lord, that in this house there's grace and mercy for one another because we all make mistakes, we all fall short, and we all need to bear one another's burdens because we need others to bear our burdens. So Lord, continue to grow this church from the inside out, that Lord, we can go out and love people well and lead them to you, that we can be a light for you, a city that's set on a hill. So as we come to your word, thank you that you're the teacher Thank you for what the Holy Spirit does, how he takes the word and makes it understandable in our hearts and in our minds. And he also gives us the desire and the ability to live it out. Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be ready today. Thank you for worship where we could get into your presence to help massage our hearts. Some of us are dealing with so many things, so many issues. But Lord, I thank you that in your presence there is fullness of joy. I thank you for the peace we sang about today, that when our mind is stayed on you, you give us this peace that will surpass our understanding. And again, I pray that you would send your word and heal your people. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All of us in this room have a lot in common. But in particular, we have something in common. And that is, we have all made bad decisions. Everyone in this room has made a bad decision or two. And we're linked to that. We, we make bad decisions. Uh, the old folks used to say, a hard head makes for a what? Soft behind. Some of us have to learn the hard way. But here's the beauty of walking with God. Wisdom can be attained from the mistakes that we make. If we're willing to learn from our mistakes so as not to repeat them again. Again, we've all made bad decisions. And hopefully as we walk with God, we will make fewer bad decisions because we'll make it our business to check in with him and to make sure that we are in his word and listening to his spirit so that we don't buy that car on that car lot because we're being pressured to buy it knowing that we can't afford it at this time. Oh, how many of us have been there where we've bitten off more than we can chew? 
or we've gotten into some kind of relationship with someone that we knew we shouldn't have gotten into, or we got out of a relationship with someone that God didn't tell us to get out of. We've made some bad decisions along the way. But the good news today, and as we'll see in the book of Ruth, is that God is a redeemer, and he is able to redeem even the bad decisions of our lives. When we give God lemons, God gives us back lemonade because he's a merciful God. He's a gracious God, and he has that ability to redeem or to restore, to make something bad good, to make something broken whole. He can restore what locusts have eaten away. He can redeem. He can buy back, bring back bad decisions that we've made. Now, we don't want to just launch out and make a bad decision because we know God is gracious and able to restore us in a bad decision. You don't want to play God for a fool like that. God will not be mocked. We don't use grace like that. Matter of fact, when we make these bad decisions, we can't choose the consequences that come from them. So we want to be careful, and we don't want to just play because we know God is able to work everything together for good. We know he does that, but we ought to fear him and not play with him either. So I pray that as we look at the book of Ruth today, that we'll be encouraged about the Redeemer, the one who is able to restore even after bad decisions. So look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Stop. So the writer of Ruth is letting us know the setting in which the events of this book takes place. And we see here it happened during the time in which the judges ruled. Well, who were the judges? The judges were military leaders, both men and women who had the commission of leading Israel into the promised land and to take that land by force. The judges were like generals. They were people who were called to go in through military strategy and even military might to secure that which God promised. So after Moses handed the mantle to Joshua, Joshua passed, and then God raised up these judges or these generals. Now, the thing about the book of Judges, which comes before the book of Ruth, is that we see spiritual inconsistency in the people of God. They are up one minute with God and down the next minute with the devil. Over and over again, they are like Ohio players, and that is they are on a roller coaster, a spiritual roller coaster. They go through these cycles where they fall into sin, and because they're into sin, God then sends them into slavery where the nations they were supposed to take authority over now are taking authority over them. And so because they're in slavery, now they begin to cry out to God in supplication for deliverance because God knows, unfortunately, some of us will only pray when we find ourselves in trouble. But had we been praying regularly, we might not have gotten into the trouble we found ourselves getting into. But that's another sermon for another day. Let me go back. So after sin, there would be slavery. Then there would be supplication, and then God would send salvation through a judge like Gideon or Samson or Ehud or Deborah. He would send a, a deliverer to come. 
And once the people got out, there would be this commitment to the Lord. But once that judge died, many times their commitment to God died and they got right back into the cycle again. So the time of the judges was a time of spiritual inconsistency where the people of God were influenced and even contaminated by the people of the land. Rather than being the head, they were now the tail. Rather than worshiping Jehovah, they found themselves worshiping Baal or the devil. And so the book of Judges closes with this verse. Judges 21 verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So no wonder they had mayhem, because everyone was leaning on their own understanding, doing what they wanted to do. And they said, we're not like the other nations who have kings. And so in the book of Samuel, they're, they're going to get a king. But before they get an earthly king, God is offended because he's saying, I'm your heavenly king. What do you mean there's no king in Israel? God is the king of Israel. And because they were not acknowledging God as their king, they became their own king or they became their own gods and they did what they wanted to do. So we may not be living in the time of the judges, but some of us may be living like the judges, and that is we say that God is our king, but we live lives on our own. We do our own thing and ask God to keep blessing a mess. We keep going around in circles. We claim he's our king, but the way that we live doesn't show that he is our king because we keep finding ourselves in these tough predicaments. So the book of Ruth occurs during a time of great spiritual inconsistency in the land with the people of God. But watch God. God loves to take uh, people who are unknown and make them known. God loves to take people who are last and make them first. God loves to take people who are often overlooked and put them on a pedestal for his glory. Because although Israel is going around in circles, there's going to be a Moabite woman who is outside of the covenant promises of Israel, who's going to give her heart to the God of Israel. And God is going to use her to show Israel what trusting God looks like, what being consistent and faithful to God looks like, and how through her will come the Redeemer who will save all of us from our poor decisions. So the Bible goes on to say that in this time when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. Famine means there's no food. Famine means there's nothing to drink. Famine means that what is here, the prices are exorbitant uh, and the availability of those things happen to be scarce. So there's a famine in the land. Why is there a famine? Well, many times God would send famines to get his people's attention because they began to prostitute with other gods like Baal who professed to be the God of rain, the God of fertility. He and his counterpart, Asherah, when they got together through sexual intercourse, that would cause the rains to come down and the crops to grow. But God is like, uh-uh, I'm the God who allows the rain to fall from the heavens, not Baal. 
So I'm going to show you that your God is false, false by shutting up the heavens so that when there's no rain, you can't have any crops. And when you can't have any crops, that's going to increase your prayer life because when your stomach is growling, prayers start howling. <laughs> so sometimes God will send a famine. He'll dry things up to get your attention, to look to him, to not trust in these things, but to trust in him. So there's this famine in the land. There's this famine, and the Bible says, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the, two, the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Oh, my. So there's a famine in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Uh, there's a famine amongst the people of God. So one of the families decides they have a bright idea. We're going to leave the people of God and go to Moab because there's not a famine in Moab. So this man who does that, his name is Elimelech. And his name in Hebrew means God is my king. So God is my king, Elimelech, takes his family from Bethlehem into Moab. Now, what's up with Moab? Moab, these are the people of, uh, uh, who, who did not help the people of God when they were coming out of Egypt going towards the promised land. The Moabites. The Moabites came from Genesis chapter 19 from an incestuous relationship that Lot's daughters had with their father, Lot. So when they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah because the angels blew it up, Lot's wife turned around and became a pillar of salt. And so Lot's children, his two daughters, who had become so infused with worldliness and the, the traditions of the world, they started saying that we're young and we don't have husbands, so we need to have children. So rather than checking in with Yahweh, they decided to do their own thing. So they decided to come up with an evil concoction to get their father drunk. And the first daughter went in one night and had sexual relations with her father. And then the next night, the younger daughter did the same thing, got her father drunk, went in and had sex. Both of them got impregnated by their father. The one had a child named Moab and the other named Ammon. So they led to the Moabites and the Ammonites, ungodly people who surrounded the people of God. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, the Moabites were not allowed to go into the temple or the tabernacle of God. Not because of incest, but because they didn't serve God's people as they came out of Egypt. So Moab was not a good place to go. Moab was a place where they worshipped the god Chemosh, which was like a cousin or a remake of Baal. So Elimelech, God is my king, leaves house of bread and goes to a land of idolatry. What you don't see here. In this decision that a lot of us may think is a good decision. I mean, it's a good decision. You've got to take your family to a place where you can feed them and provide for them. But wait a minute. Hold on, hold on now. Every good idea is not necessarily a God idea. Oh, uh, you missed that. i got to say it one more time. 
every good idea that you have is not necessarily a God idea. A God idea comes from God. You've checked in with God. You've read God's word. You've gotten counsel from God's people. But what you don't see from Elimelech, God is my king. Elimelech does not pray before he makes this decision. Elimelech does not get counsel before he makes this decision. Elimelech does not get into the Torah before he makes this decision. He just makes this decision and uproots his family from the people of God and goes to Moab. I'm here to let you know, before you uproot your family from where God has them because you think the grass is greener over there or they're offering more money over there, you better check in with God before you uproot your family because what we're going to find out is that when they went to Moab, they were cut off from, I'll just say it this way, Christian community. Mm -hmm. And when they went through the fire, and needed somebody to hold their hand, nobody was there to do it because they all worship Chemosh, not Yahweh. So if you're going to go to another state, make sure you do what many people leave this church do. Uh, what kind of churches are in the area? Pastor, do you have a recommendation for me? Because we've got to find a church. That's just as important as finding a house for us to live in. We've got to find a house to worship in. Because a lot of times we say, we're going to go. And then we get there, and it's dry spiritually. And we look up, you're making a lot of money, but man, something is dry in your soul. Elimelech moved his family without praying or getting counsel. God is my king did not really act like God was his king. And the Bible says when they moved there, the Bible says they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left, and her two sons. Now, they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah. I know you want to say Oprah, but it's Orpah. And the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman, which is Naomi, survived her two sons and her husband. Oh, there's a lot here. Let me see if I can unpack this right. So... He uproots and takes his family to a foreign land, an idolatrous land, not knowing he's going to die when he gets there. Now, I'm not saying God disciplined him because the text does not give me that right to do that. Uh, but he died while there. But he wasn't expecting that. So he dies, and now his wife becomes a widow. And not only is she a widow, she's detached from spiritual community. So she doesn't have anybody. And then her two sons, they act like their father, and they do ungodly things by marrying women outside of the covenant community of Israel. You see, they should have married Hebrew women, not because of race, but because of faith. They married women who worship other gods. But here's the deal. If the father is not raising his children to respect his God, you can't do, you can't give off what you don't live. So if dad doesn't respect God, why should the boys respect God? So they have a lower standard, just like their father, and they marry ungodly women. Now, one of them is going to become godly. But again, we know God can hit a bullseye with a crooked stick, but just don't pick up a crooked stick and say, Lord, bless this. <laughs> you dating this fella or this girl, you know it's lost. 
but you believe in if you could just bring them to church. Let pastor get a hold of them. No, pastor don't know. I'm missionary dating. Missionary dating? How about we do some missionary work first? Let, let, let's go in the hood. Let's go to Haiti. Let's go to missionary dating. God don't need your help to try to get this dude that you like to get saved. Live saved in front of this cat. Don't compromise your convictions. And maybe he will get saved because he sees something in you that he doesn't see in all these other girls out here. Oh, that's a whole nother sermon. Let me get back over here. <laughs> because what you see now while you're dating is the good foot. James Brown said, can I get it on my good foot? There's a bad foot back there too. That you don't always see why you dating this guy or this girl that's talking all this Christian stuff. But when you get closer to him, oh, or if you get married to him, oh, my goodness. What was on 10 that's negative goes to 1,000 once you get married. Because they got you now, and they don't need to front spiritually anymore. I'm married to this church girl. I ain't got to go to church now. Shucks. So these guys marry these women from Moab, one was Orpah, the other was Ruth. And then they were married for 10 years, and both of those boys died too. Again, we don't know why they died or the circumstances behind it, but they died. And the Bible says that Naomi survived her two sons, and she survived her husband. So she's all alone in a foreign land away from people of God, and she's grieving. And I just wonder, did she speak up to her husband when he said, we're going over there? Did, 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 he, did he listen to her words? Because, you know, in a marriage, it is a partnership. Or did she just be silent in the name of submission? I don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but we find a woman here who has survived. Two deaths. Now, in the book of Ruth, there's no common enemy. There's no, no regular uh, villain. That's not the typical antagonist. You're not going to read of a Haman-type character like you read in the book of Esther. Uh, you're not going to see the Pharisees and Sadducees like you see in the Gospels. The enemy in the book of Ruth happens to be life circumstances, like a famine, like a drought, like death and poverty. Those are the villains or the antagonists in the book of Ruth. And so this verse closes by saying, verse 5, that she survived. But did she? But did she? Yeah, 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 yeah she survived. But something happened to her spirit. She had tasted so much death that she decides, verse 20, to change her name. Now, before I even talk about changing her name, she said, uh, I hear that there's bread back home now. I've been out here at least 10 years in this God-forsaken place. So I hear that there's bread again back home. So she makes a good decision to go back home. Her husband made an unwise decision to leave home when God didn't tell him to leave. He was leaning on his own understanding. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to what? Death. 
I know he said, man, I wish I could have a do-over. I wish I could hit reset like this was a video game, but life ain't a video game. And so she says, I hear something back home, and I'm going home. Now, the Bible says in verse 19 that when she and Ruth come to Bethlehem, it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? Let me say this again to you. She had no community in Moab. But when she goes back to her home church after being gone for 10 years, everybody's like, girl, we're so glad to see you. Naomi, we miss you. We love you. She's getting a kind of support that she missed for the last 10 years. This is why Christian community is so important and for us to be intentional not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. As the matter of some is, but as we see the day of approaching, we've got to spur one another on towards loving good deeds. We've got to be in the huddle because God is calling some serious plays. But if I keep sitting on the bench, or better yet, going to the other team and sitting on that bench and trying to get in their huddle, you're going to miss some great revelation and some great community but you can make a decision to come back home. And she goes back home. And they're happy to see her. No condemnation. No judgment. Nobody's putting her down for leaving in the first place. They're showing her the kind of love that Yahweh shows them. But she says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant because things just don't feel too pleasant in my life. Call me Myra or Mara, which means bitter. So although she survived, something in her died. And so she's bitter. And she's even going to say, I'm in this tough place because the Almighty, verse 21, has afflicted me. So I'm hurting because God is hurting me. Because if God was God and God was good, why would he let all this bad stuff happen to me? Now, what she doesn't understand, because when you go through something, your theology is going to, you're going to find out what you really believe about God. Which is why we got to go to Dr. Joe's theology class. She's thinking God must be cruel because life is cruel. Oh, no, 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 no. God is good even when life is hard. And he has either allowed what everybody in this room is going through, he's allowed it to happen because he has a purpose for it, or in his sovereignty, he has directly caused it. Yet we don't know which one it is. Is he causing it or is he allowing it? Doesn't matter, I'm going through it, but I got a God who's going through it with me. But when we go through stuff that hurts, our tendency is to turn on God and say, he's afflicted me. And God shouts back down from heaven, no, I'm not afflicting you. I am affixing you. I'm affixing you. I'm affixing you. Because I got to send you through some fire because you started drifting spiritually. So I got to send you through some fire to purify you, to bring you back closer to me. For you to look to me as your provider, even in a famine, and not try to come up with some ideas to provide for yourself. And so she's saying, I'm struggling, y'all. I'm bitter. She says, I went out full, but I'm coming home empty. Are you really empty? No, no, God is with you. I know it's bad, but God is with you. 
And not only is God with you, God allowed your daughter-in-law to come back with you. So when we say we're empty, God's like, no, I still provide for you. You got to open up your eyes and see how I have blessed you. We always talk about, I don't have this, I don't have. What do you have? I got God and I got my daughter-in-law. That should be enough. But in her mind, she's playing the victim role. When I grew up, up, they would say, man, you're playing the nut role. Somebody's playing the victim role right now, and you've changed your name. I'm defeated. Oh, man, I'm stupid. Oh, man, I'm depressed. You've changed your name. And God says, don't change your name. Because what you call yourself is where the authority comes from. So if you're calling yourself bitter, you're going to be bitter. Girl, remember your name is pleasant because the God who is with you will walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. You ought to be pleasant because God is with you, girl. Yeah, you got out of the will of God and you went to Moab, but God stuck with you even in that land. And as you come back home, he's got a plan because the Bible says that when they come back to Bethlehem in verse 22, it's at the beginning of barley harvest. Barley harvest. What's that all about? Well, remember, there was a famine in the land, which meant there weren't any harvests for a while. But when she comes back 10 years later, because she heard there's food in God's house, she comes back at the beginning of barley harvest. What's the big deal? Well, when there's a harvest, there's barley and then there's wheat. Barley comes first, the wheat comes second. And when there's harvest, that means there's time for rejoicing. Because what you put down in the ground months ago is starting to sprout and come up now. And so the harvest signifies hope is coming. So she leaves a hard situation where she says she's bitter but she don't even know the timing and providence of God who's directing her steps saying, get ready. I'm about to do something in your life right now because it's the beginning of harvest season. And when they would plant them seeds, sometimes, Psalm 126, they would sow those seeds in tears because maybe there wasn't much rain coming from the heavens, but their tears would have to fertilize the, what was planted. And then the Bible says, those who go out sowing in tears shall come again rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. There's nothing like harvest time because that means the favor of God is showing up in a manifest way in your life, even though you don't deserve it. And not only that, you can't get a harvest without a death. Pastor, what you talking about? The seed has to die in the ground in order for it to produce a crop. You see, this would speak of the feast of first fruits for the Jews. When the harvest would start coming in at the beginning of the season, the first fruits were coming. So we see the barley. We know the wheat is coming. It's going to be a good season. The first fruits. The Bible says Jesus is our first fruits. How is he our first fruits? He was planted in the ground on Friday. He died on Friday, but he rose again from the dead, coming up out of the ground 
on Sunday. He is the first fruits of our inheritance. So as God has received Jesus, he has also received us. And as the spirit raised Jesus from the dead, he's also living in us to raise us through dead circumstances. So whenever I acknowledge Jesus in my life, I got hope in my life. I got resurrection power in my life. But when I'm not thinking about Jesus as my king, when I'm trying to do my own thing, call me Mara, call me bitter. But God says, I am the king, and I'll redeem these situations. Next week, we'll talk about Ruth and how Ruth said, I'm going to make a decision on this road. I'm not only going with my mother-in-law to this land I've never been to. I'm going to make her God my God because there's just been enough about him that she's talked about that makes me want him. So she makes a decision on the road, and she gets into Bethlehem as the daughter of the king, and watch God do some stuff. Somebody's saying today, I feel like I'm in chapter one of Ruth. I've made some bad decisions. Matter of fact, my heart is hard against God. I'm blaming God for the stuff I should be responsible for. But God is big enough. He can take it. But I'm in this place of drought and death and confusion and hurt. But I just want to say to you, keep reading. Because Naomi didn't see in chapter 1 what God was going to do in chapter 4. Don't quit in chapter 1. Don't, don't think that it's over. In ch chapter 4 is coming. I'm telling you, it's the beginning of harvest time. You just got to keep on. And so in chapter 2, that girl going to go to work, y'all. And then God's going to put a man. Uh, y'all come back next week. I, I, I'm, I'm going to leave it right there. I'm going to stop right there. But before we go, we got to pray. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet. I'm going to do something different. I want you to hear God is able to redeem and he is redeeming bad decisions, which we all make. We see decisions made in chapter one. <coughs> Elimelech left and didn't ask God what his will was. We saw Naomi make a good decision saying, I'm going back home. Even though she said, I'm bitter. She, at least she was going back to church. Then Ruth made a great decision where she said, your God will be my God. She became a follower of the king of the earth. We want to pray with you. Whatever decisions you're wrestling with or dealing with, whatever bad decisions you've made, whatever tough season you're walking through, we don't want to leave this house until we have prayed together. We're going to do it different. Rather than me calling up my elders, I'm going to call up the people. If I can get three sets of people to be here, here, and here, who have the ability to intercede for somebody else, who's a member of Strong Tower Bible Church and you have the heart to pray for somebody else going through something because I'm going to invite people who need prayer to come up and be prayed over by you. The body is going to minister to the body in the next five minutes. So if you believe God has put on your heart that you would love to pray for somebody this morning, why don't you come and just assemble here.
God's putting on your heart. You, you, you want to pray for somebody this morning. Stand in the front, stand to the right. Come on. And I know better than just because if you don't come, that don't mean you don't love to pray for people. I'm not, that's, this ain't that. This is if the Spirit is putting on your heart. You have the gift of intercession. You have the gift of mercy. You want to pray for somebody. Thank you for those who've come. All right. For the rest of us, you need prayer right now. Don't leave this house without having somebody stand in agreement with you. You may say, my marriage is troubled. Uh, my finances, I'm thinking about moving. I, I don't, my body, uh, I, I want to become a Christian. I don't know what God's talking to you about. But come and let somebody pray with you. And if you just want to go to the Lord by yourself, the altar is here. But let me remind you, though, two can put 10,000 aflight. So step out now and come on, come on, let's pray. And if you are staying in the seats, you're praying, not spectating right now. Amen. So come, if you need specific prayer, come now. Do not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. Come now. Get prayer right now. Nobody's spectating. We're all looking with our eyes to God. This is a house of prayer. Let's do this. Let's do this. Come now. You need prayer. Come on and ask God's people to pray for you. Come on, come on. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this moment. Thank you.